Seek would like to start this episode by acknowledging Australia's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities and their rich culture, and pay respect to their elders past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening today. Seek recorded this episode from Wurundjeri Woi Wurrung Country. HR professionals and talent leaders have experienced immense change over the past two years. COVID-19 has reshaped the economy and the labour force with titanic shifts in how we work, employee expectations and the growing number of jobs in the market. So how can HR leaders navigate these ongoing changes and ensure they're keeping their teams equipped for change and engaged at work? In this Talent Talks episode, we spoke with Shade Zare, Principal and Director of Influenzo Global. So during times of change, why it's really important is because having a growth mindset means that we see our skills as being capable of improvement. We see gaps in our knowledge as opportunities to learn something new. And as a result, we're actually more prepared to experience change and uncertainty as an exciting challenge rather than a threat. Sade is an award-winning leadership strategist and Harvard-trained coach who's worked with Fortune 500 companies, breathing life into their organisational culture to enhance change readiness for transformation. In this episode, Sade unpacks the basics of the psychology behind how our brain responds to change and why it's sometimes so hard to manage our emotions. We'll talk about how to view change as an opportunity rather than a threat through a growth mindset and other easy-to-apply strategies. Welcome back to another episode of Talent Talks. My guest today is the Principal and Director at Influenzo Global. Her name is Shade Zare. Welcome, Shade. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. Today, we're going to talk about all things growth mindset. We'll talk about change in a few different ways, but it would be great if we could start just by talking about the current climate that we're in, the huge amount of change um, that's been happening over the last couple of years. So I'll start by asking you, you know, in your experience, can you tell us about some of the key challenges facing HR leaders today due to that rapidly changing environment over the last couple of years? There are a lot of challenges. Um, Look, if I had to narrow it down to just three primary challenges that we're seeing globally, the first and foremost is how to maintain engagement and foster a more human work environment. Because the fact is, employees are burned out. You know, really interestingly, engagement metrics were trending up in the early part of the pandemic, and this was driven by an increase in transparency and communication. But now what we're seeing is this downward trend. The conversation has now shifted towards the uncertainty around whether people are expected to return to the office and then what this new normal is going to look like. Now, linked to that, there's also a related challenge around improving health and well-being and then making that a business imperative. In addition, it's also how do organizations continue to drive the diversity and inclusion agenda to promote what we call is an irresistible culture that people are proud to be part of, which then, of course, links to the second challenge, which is managing turnover and attracting the right talent because employee expectations have shifted over the last two years. And then finally, what we're seeing consistently is the importance of building critical skills and competencies. You know, according to Gartner, 40% of HR professionals say that they can't build skill development solutions fast enough to actually keep up with the evolving market and fill the emerging skill gaps as a result of all these changes. Now, not only that, they actually found that almost 30% of the skills that were present in an average job posting in 2018 are actually now obsolete. So things are changing very fast. (laughs) Why are some people so resistant to change? So what's happening internally when we are faced with change as individuals? So to understand why many of us have a resistance to change, a resistance to change, we need to understand how we're wired. 
So the human brain is fundamentally wired for survival. And part of that is being able to collect data and information and then use patterns and memories to be able to predict what's going to happen in the future. So our brains actually love the beginning, middle and end of a story because it's a predictable journey. However, when our brain only receives the beginning and the middle of a story, what it'll do is often close that story loop for us automatically which delivers a great dopamine hit and it feels good because, phew, we know how the ending is going to turn out, but we're often filling that gap with misinformation. So during times of change, there is uncertainty. And with uncertainty, there's no guarantee about what the ending is going to be. So the brain will often register it as a threat. We experience this increase in cortisol, we get a shot of noradrenaline, we can't think clearly, we experience an increase in physiological arousal, heart rate speeds, we get agitated, stressed, frustrated, all of these common experiences that people have. And when we're in this state, we are not in the right mind frame to actually embrace the uncertainty that we're facing. And this all happens largely because of a subconscious process called cognitive appraisal. So this is that process that we go through to make sense of what's happening in the world. And during times of change, people cognitively appraise it as a crisis, which leads them to resist. So then how important is is leading from the front and what leadership role can HR leaders play when they're facilitating change in the workplace, given all those physiological challenges that you just spoke about? So when we talk about leading from the front, we're really referring to leading by example, being a visible example of what you want others to be, and then role modeling the behavior that you want to see. Now, gone are the days when leadership would pass down decisions and then employees would just accept them. You know, employees today are far more discerning. They want to see things in action at every level. And they will notice when there are inconsistencies between what's said and then what's done. So integrity in business and leadership is incredibly important now more than ever. So as HR leaders, you will play a key role in this through driving the people agenda, which might require you to continually remind each level of the business why the change is happening. There's actually this famous study headed by Harvard's Ellen Langer about the power of understanding why. So the study involved going to college campuses that had really long lines uh, to use the photocopying machines. Now, what they did is they got a person to go to the front of the line and try and cut in using one of three specifically worded requests. So the first statement was, excuse me, I have five pages. May I use the Xerox machine? The intention was stated up front and 60% of people in line actually let them cut in which is a pretty, pretty good response. I didn't expect that. Now, statement two was the same. I have five pages. May I use a Xerox machine? But they added, because I am in a rush. When this reason was given, 94% of people complied, up from 60% when no reason was given. Now, statement three is the interesting one. The same thing was shared, but the reason was because I have to make copies. So it was the same reason as everyone else in that line, yet compliance was higher than when no reason was given. It was at 93%. So what is this telling us? What it's telling us is that when we have a reason and we know why we're doing something, we're more likely to agree to it, even if that reason isn't really a compelling reason at all. We want to understand why. Now, of course, as HR leaders, it's really important to make that reason compelling and also important to convey to business leaders the importance of reinforcing the why, the reason behind the decision or the change. Bring it back to people. Use human-centered design to put the human first because it does pay off. So let's talk about a growth mindset. And I'm interested from your point of view, what is a growth mindset and why is having one so important when we are going through times of change? There's this common misunderstanding or misconception about a growth mindset and what it is. 
A lot of people think it's just about being positive and looking at the bright side, which is actually not entirely correct. That relates more to what's called your explanatory style or realistic optimism, which is an outcome of a growth mindset. So a growth mindset is fundamentally a belief that our most basic abilities can be developed through dedication and hard work. Brains and talent are just the starting point. And this mindset of being able to learn and grow creates this love of learning and remarkable resilience. So during times of change, why it's really important is because having a growth mindset means that we see our skills as being capable of improvement. We see gaps in our knowledge as opportunities to learn something new. And as a result, we're actually more prepared to experience change and uncertainty as an exciting challenge rather than a threat. So many people say they want to embrace a growth mindset. Um, It's obviously much easier said than done. So when we're faced with people who, you know, may be struggling to shift towards a path of learning and growth, What are some really good practical tips that we can do to support them and their teams? There are three things that we've actually seen HR leaders do that are really effective at helping to cultivate a growth mindset. So I'll share those three with you. The first is to encourage a learning culture where people openly share new insights and learnings. And importantly, they share when things didn't work out and then what they learned from that experience. And the benefit of this is you're destigmatizing failure and reinterpreting it as an opportunity for growth. So that's number one, encouraging a learning culture. Number two is actually to offer choices. Now, one of the reasons why people resist change is they feel that they no longer have autonomy, which is an inherent social need. So when possible, offer simple and clear choices with the consequences of each choice. So for example, you could share with a team, you can start using the new system when we launch in a week to get practice and a head start. Or you can choose to wait until we shut down the previous system in a month. However, the transition might be more challenging. That way you're putting ownership and control back into people's hands and it shifts them away from victim mentality to focus on what they can control. Now, the third tip is to acknowledge growth. Remind team members of what they've learned, how they've grown, how they've developed their skills, validate them. Acknowledge their qualities and how they've applied them in the past and then remind them that they can apply them in future too. We often forget about this because we focus very much on uh, objectives and deliverables and of course behaviors. But when we really strip it down, if you can acknowledge the qualities of persistence, grit, determination, people are more likely to want to live up to that as well. So it has this wonderful ripple effect. That's really interesting. Is there there a particular cadence when you're reminding people and you're acknowledging it? Is it something that you would do perhaps more frequently beginning and and then ease, ease that off as they become more accustomed? Or is it something you should, you know, just constantly keep doing? Yeah, look, great question. I would be of the view that constantly keep doing it. Now, of course, if it's not part of the culture, bringing it in might be a little bit unusual. So you can actually bring it in at a team level where you encourage everyone in the team to start acknowledging each other. And you might start a meeting and say, okay, we're going to do a quick round the room and we're going to focus on gratitude for someone else in this team. What have they done? How did they deliver it? And what quality did they actually apply? That way you make it part of the language, the vernacular, and it doesn't feel so awkward. And then when you're having your one-to-ones, you can actually be a little bit more open about the real qualities that have been demonstrated. What impact can people who embrace a growth mindset have on the people around them and indeed their whole organisation? So, okay, here's a question for you, Hamish, and, and everyone who's, who's part of this community. Have you ever been around someone who was really positive and upbeat and you couldn't help but feel that rub off onto you? Yes. Have you experienced absolutely. that? Yes. Yeah. Now, have you experienced the opposite where absolutely. you're around someone who's, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Don't even need to go into detail. We have. Now, this is called emotional contagion. Emotions are contagious. So a growth mindset promotes positive emotions that are conducive to collaboration, openness, and creativity. And being around this enough 
can help those who don't have a growth mindset to slowly start to shift their perspective. Now, not only this, researchers have also found that we can consistently influence the moods of others. Now, I call it our psychological vibe. The researchers call it our trait affective presence. So if enough people within a team, an organization, if enough of them have a growth mindset, which comes down to hiring and creating internal structures to help foster this, it can have a really powerful ripple effect on other people who are there. What unique skills can HR leaders focus on developing when they want to influence change across an organization? There are two primary influencing skills that we've seen to be incredibly effective and also impactful when it comes to being able to have the cut through that you need. And there are two levels of the same concept. So the first level is learning how to communicate based on the priorities of the other person. So if you're interacting with someone who, as an individual, is highly people-oriented, appeal to this within them, ask them about their family, share stories, share the people impacts of decisions. These people enjoy conversing and connecting, so give them that. Now, likewise, if you're interacting with someone who is very goal-oriented, speak in their language. Share the goals, the milestones, where they're headed. It's a really effective technique that builds trust, connection, and, of course, influence. Now, the second level of that same concept is to connect the dots for whoever you're speaking with. When you're engaging with a business area, speak to the priorities of that area. For example, the finance team may not be so concerned as to the people impacts of a change initiative, but they will listen if you link those people impacts to the bottom line and how it affects their targets. If you're speaking with a project team, similarly, understand what the team cares about most and position your message in a way that appeals to their priorities and essentially helps them look good. They'll be so much more inclined to actually take it on board. Now, it's easier said than done, but like anything, you do get better at it the more you do it. So how important is frequent and transparent communication before, during and after periods of change? It's incredibly important. When there is a lack of transparency or not enough information, it means that people have the beginning and the middle of the story, but they can't visualize the end of it. And as as we know, the brain likes the beginning, middle and end of a story. So then what do people do? Well, they make up the ending. And more often than not, they may see uncertainty as a threat. So what does that mean? Well, then they tend to assume that management and leadership are plotting terrible things. That's typically how things happen within organizations. So before, during and after change, it's really important to be as transparent as possible, to truly listen and seek to understand others and what they need. Keep reminding people of the reasons why something is happening and reinforce how people can achieve success in the new environment. I'd like to ask you, how important is having the right systems and processes in place to motivate people and reinforce a positive culture during times of change? And they could be things like recognition programs or REM systems. Um, There's probably a few that you can think of. But what's the importance of having those systems in place? Absolutely essential. You know, you can talk all you want about why a change is important and the reasons behind it and how positive your culture is. But of course, if it's not backed up in action, meaning systems, processes, procedures that reinforce it and facilitate the change in the long term, it's going to fall flat on its face. Not only that, it'll probably breed mistrust with your people. And this might mean looking at what you currently have and giving it a facelift, if you like. You know, how can you take your current recognition systems and revise them in light of how the world of work has changed? How can you update your recruitment processes, enhance your feedback systems, the mechanisms by which people interact? The organizations that are really sustainable and continually empower people to be their best, attract the best talent and retain them, are those who continually evolve how they do things internally. And finally, how do you continue to embed mindset shifts and ensure teams don't go backwards in progress? 
So Hamish, you've touched on the key there. It's about facilitating a mindset shift, not only a behavioral shift, because behavioral change can happen, but unless it's accompanied by that mindset shift, people simply revert to old behaviors because of their underlying beliefs. And we know a lot of our underlying beliefs were shaped in the first five to seven years of our lives based on the environment we grew up in, the relationship with our parents, but also they get shaped throughout our careers as well. We have these career imprinting moments. Now, a great way to think about it is to move from actually a growth mindset focus towards fostering what's called a learner mindset, which recognizes that success and winning means learning more and learning faster. So the key to making this stick is to make it personal for each individual. When it comes to a mindset shift, what will that shift in perspective allow that person to do differently in future? Get them to reflect on how it will shape their future success, their happiness, their fulfillment, not only at work, but how can they apply that to the rest of their lives? How will it shape how they, uh, how they approach their personal goals? How will it influence everything else they do? When you make it personal, that's the secret source to lasting mindset shifts because someone recognizes how it influences their identity. Thanks for joining us for this episode. For more ideas and discussions on the world of work and all things recruitment and HR, stay tuned for more upcoming episodes of Seek Talent Talks.